Amen. Well, hey, good morning. It is good to see all of you this morning. Many of you know that my name is Mike, and I'm on staff here at Refuge, and it is my uh, joy and honor to get to bring us the word this morning. Uh, you might know that we have been walking through the book of Hebrews these last couple weeks and even before the Advent season. Uh, however, Pastor Dan is not feeling his best this morning, so you can keep him in your prayers. Uh, and we decided to kind of make some, some quick pivots in order to uh, make sure we had everything set for service this morning. So we are going to be in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles with you, whether it is a print Bible or digital, or if you need one, take one from the pew back in front of you. That's, that's what it's there for. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, and it is about three quarters of the way through the Bible. And while you're doing that, let me just say welcome. Again, it is good to see you. If this is one of your first times with us, or uh, maybe you've been with us for a number of weeks, uh, whether you are just exploring faith and, and God and, and who Jesus is and what all of that might look like in your life, or uh, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for many years, we are thrilled that you decided to spend today with us uh, this morning. And we hope that you find this place to be um, a sacred place for growth and purpose. So today what I would like to do is just uh, spend a couple minutes looking at a short uh, parable that Jesus told. It's the parable of the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on sand. Uh, and, and really just see how is that applicable for our life today. Uh, but also, what is it that Jesus is calling us to? Is it just about uh, having faith or is it a life of faithfulness and what does that look like? And what I mean is, is whenever it comes to faith, faith is the idea that, that we put our trust in something and out of that trust we make decisions uh, that ultimately become the shape of our life. Faithfulness is, as Eugene Peterson put so well, long obedience in the same direction. And so seeing that Jesus is calling us through this parable, not just to a life of faith, but a life of faithfulness and what that might mean. So with that, I'd like to turn our attention to the word. It's going to be Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And it says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The leaves wither and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are and, and what you're doing. God, I thank you for being a good God who gives good gifts to his kids. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every single morning. And Father, we just, we surrender this time to you. God, we recognize that this is your time to work and your space to work in um, and not ours. And so God, we're, we're just asking that you would meet us in this place, God, that you would give us eyes that we would see, God, ears that we would hear and hearts that we would understand what it is that you have for us. God, that, that whatever that is this morning, that we would take it and treasure it in our hearts, that you would make it clear to us. 
But God, that, that anything is of me or God, anything that is not of you, Father, would we not remember a moment of? God, would you speak through my words and God, would your spirit just fill this place? We thank you and praise you for all that you are. And we ask and pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are not just in the book of Matthew. We're actually in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you might be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, but many uh, would call it the great manifesto of Jesus' teaching. It's one complete sermon that he delivered to his disciples and a whole audience of people, but it involves multiple teachings uh, all throughout it. And so we are finding ourselves now at the end of that sermon, but it's important to understand what it was that Jesus was saying, what it was that he was walking through as he was giving this sermon. Now to be clear, he, he was not instituting a new law. Right? But he also was not uh, getting rid of the law that existed. He says this at the beginning of the sermon. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish or to get rid of them, but I've come to fulfill them. So what Jesus is essentially doing with his sermon is, again, it's not a new law. And it's not getting rid of the law that God put into place. He is deepening his audience's understanding of what it looked like to live in the kingdom. He was simply walking them through that identity of life in the kingdom and, and expounding on how they thought that might look. And he does so wonderfully and masterfully. One of the things that he does is he, he starts to have this cadence throughout his teaching in the sermon where he likes to use the, this phrase of, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so for example, this is where he says, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, do not even hate your brother. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, do not even lust. It's actually cool. There was this, uh, the, the golden rule that we've heard of, do unto others as, as you would have done unto you, comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is actually turning on its head a, a philosophical thought that was in a lot of the, the religious circles that we now call the silver rule, which was just do not do unto others as you don't want done to yourself. Well, that's pretty easy, right? I'm not going to hit someone because I don't want them to hit me back. But Jesus is saying, but I say to you, do unto others. Take it one step farther. As I, as you would have done unto you. So as he's giving this sermon, he's not giving a recipe for perfection. He's not giving us the, the, the walkthrough of how we can skirt around and, and, and have our own righteousness in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he even says this where he says, uh, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds or goes past and surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's not talking about what it is that we need to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's doing is describing the life of those that are already within the kingdom. He's saying, once you are in the kingdom, this is what that looks like. It's the identity of kingdom life. And so we now find ourselves again at the conclusion of this sermon in chapter 7 where Jesus is, is giving a stern and stark warning but also a word of practical encouragement. We find ourselves in verse 24 and it says, everyone who then hears these words of mine, so who hears these words, it starts with hearing it and what? And does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And so immediately as Jesus begins this parable, there's a call to action. There's something that he is urging us to do, encouraging us to do. And, And that's essentially that we need to hear and do. We need to hear what he says and not stop there. Actually do what he says. Some of our translations would say to put that into practice, right, is one way to think about that. So to hear it and then to put it into practice. What he's getting at here is this idea of faithfulness. Again, faithfulness is simply long obedience in the same direction. It's starting out of that place of faith where I've put my trust. And over a sustained period of time, I've kept walking out of that place, out of that foundation, in long obedience towards one direction. So... He gives us this, this, this encouragement and then we see what happens next. It says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But what happened? It did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. So uh, we, we see this play out and we see what happens when the storm comes. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He could have stopped there and said, this is what you need to do. But he gives us a warning and he does it with the opposite. He says, everyone who what? Who hears these words. So it, it's a repeated pattern. Who hears these words and what? Does not do them. So again, they're hearing the same words. They're getting the same teaching. But one is putting them into practice. One is doing it. And following through, one is not. And one who does not do that is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So it's not like it's on the rock. He's giving a different type of foundation. And with a different foundation, we should expect different results, right? So we see that. He goes on and says, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And what happened? It fell and great was the fall of it. So as we walk through this very short, these four verses, we can immediately identify some similarities, right? There's two men, uh, and both of them have a house, right? Think of that like, like their life, that they're, they're building this house. And while they're building it, they are walking out their faithfulness. They, they are walking in long obedience towards one end. They're walking from a, a foundation point and building out their house, but it doesn't stop there. They, they've both been instructed. They've both been told how it is that they should build that house in a way that would be successful, in a way that would lead to, to their house standing firm and strong. And there's one more similarity. The rain, the flood, and the wind. The storm, right? This is, this is representative of the realities of the world. So they have all of these things in common, all these similarities in the midst of this parable, and yet there's one difference, right? The foundation. The foundation is what sets them apart. And this is because foundations simply determine the strength of the structure. From the foundation, we're able to see whether or not that that, that structure will hold for the future. And so the question that I simply have this morning is, is what is it that you are leaning on to get you through the storm? What is your foundation? I think about this as it, as it applies to myself, and for much of my life, it's, it's leaning on myself. It's leaning on these two hands. I come from a proud family of, of some self-made people that have gone through hard times, that, that understand that, that, uh, what it's like to pull themselves up from their bootstraps and to lean on themselves and to get themselves through it and to lean on their gut and to know that, that just by leaning on what we think in our life experience, we've done pretty well. 
But when the storm comes and things get stressful and, and all of those answers and solutions start to fall short and all that life experience doesn't actually prepare me for, for what the world has in store for me, and I, I find myself uh, leaning and holding more to what I believe as opposed to, to what God is calling me to. Maybe for others, it, it might be materialism. It might be this idea that if I just get one more toy in the sandbox, if I get up the ladder one more jump, if I just hit that pay raise, I'll be fine. When the world comes in and things get tough, I can just look at what I have for all of my contentment and all of my joy and lean into that for, for a little bit until we start to realize the emptiness that comes from holding on to those things and how those things will never actually bring the contentment that we're seeking and yet we find in the teachings of Jesus. For even more, it might be your political and religious heroes. It might be ideological heroes from that perspective where we heard them speak once or twice and we heard them say things that resonated deeply with us, good things and true things. But yet, as again, the world comes into play and the storm hits, I find myself not being appeased with some of their platitudes anymore, with some of the things that they're saying. Even though I, I might still be confusing their voice for the voice of God. Even though I once found comfort in the things that they were saying, I replaced the comfort that I, I was finding in scripture with what it is that they were saying. And I started to base the way that I lived my life around their teachings instead of the teachings of Jesus. For even more, sometimes it's society. It's the good that we find in people. And if, if we could all just get on the same page and, 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 and love each other and understand each other and get on that train of love and just keep on loving and, 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 and find ways to reconcile in love and only have love, it'd be fine. But then when the world comes into play and we see those groups that we're trying to unify split apart because we don't have a single definition of what love actually looks like, and then I get frustrated in the midst of that and, and I'm trying to bring those things together and instead of love, I find myself hating the person that's in my way. What is it that you are leaning on to get you through the storm? Where is that faith rooted, that foundation? What are you leaning on to get you through the storm? Because here's the reality. The storm came. Look in verses 25 and 27. And the storm came. It's not an if. It doesn't say in verse 24 and 25 that those who hear these words of mine and do them will be like one who, who builds their house on a rock just in case the world starts to act up. It says and. In all of my 29 years of wisdom, I learned something the other day. The world never takes a day off. And even though... The narrative of scripture testifies and preaches to a good God who has good gifts for his kids and his creation. It also testifies to an evil that is working as hard as it can to put as much gasoline on the bonfire that is the brokenness of this world as it possibly can. And it shows up time and time and time and time again. The storm is coming and if you are not in it now, one day you will find yourself in the midst of it. And you're going to need your foundation to be secured. Take a look at verses 28 and 29. There's a reason that we included it in this teaching because it pertains to it, right? It says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were what? They were astonished at his teaching. 
For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, I do not particularly like whenever there are teachers and preachers that like to read things into scripture. I don't like whenever we take some liberties sometimes with what the scriptures are actually saying. This is one instance though where I think it is really important that we take a look and we see what scripture is saying and also what it's not. It says that the crowds were astonished. They were amazed at his teaching. They heard the words of Jesus and they said, that's good, that's true, I like that. It works, that sounds like it's wise. Even the secular people of today, the secular historians and, and even philosophers agree that Jesus is one of, if not one of the greatest philosophers of, of morality or whatever you want to call it. But what it doesn't say is that the crowds were amazed and then began to put it into practice. It doesn't say that the crowds were amazed and then just began to obey. There's a book called The Sermon on the Mount. It's a small book. Uh, I'd encourage anybody to read it. It's by Sinclair B. Ferguson. It's, it's a wonderful work. And I think he hits this point dead on the nail when he says that Jesus did not preach this sermon in order to be admired. He preached it to produce obedience. He preached it so that the authority that people recognized in his preaching would be realized in their lives. Jesus wasn't just trying to show people that he understood the scriptures. He wasn't sitting there trying to, to have a, a bigger group or a bigger following or more people to, to come and to follow him. He wasn't sitting there so that people would say, man, you're really good at this. You should go be a pastor someday. He was doing it so that the authority that people recognized in his preaching would be realized in their lives. He was doing it so that people would hear him and put it into practice, that they would actually do something with it. Friends, the reality is following Jesus is more than simply recognizing that he is Lord. It is submitting to his lordship. Simply standing here and saying, Jesus is Lord, that's good news. But guess what? Even the demons do that. Even the demons recognize Christ and what he's done. But when we follow Jesus and we say that he is Lord, that means that we're also saying, I am not. So I don't call the shots, but I submit to his lordship. I humbly walk in obedience to him. And that's what Jesus has, has told us to do. In John 14, 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, and notice what he says here. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't say, if you want me to love you, you will keep my commandments. He says, if you love me, he's already proven and demonstrated his love. John earlier in his gospel and in other places in the Bible, we see the love that Christ has for his creation and for his people. John says that, that, that God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And then later in verse 18, it says that those that believe in him are not condemned, but those that do not are condemned already. Is that because they, they say, Jesus, you're a loser, and I don't really agree with what you did? No. It's because we have a sin problem, and we are dead in our sins. And we need a perfect and righteous sacrifice that Christ provides out of his love for us. And then it is by grace that we've been saved, not because of anything that we've done. 
And in that moment when we believe, Christ's righteousness is put on us. We're able to make that claim to that birthright of Jesus' righteousness. But he did not save you for you to stay exactly where you are. He didn't save you for you to just stay trapped in certain patterns and things like that. He came to set the captive free. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands because they're for your good. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we can see that that, that, that he, he lays out, this is what life in the kingdom looks like. Walking this way, hearing what he says, and then putting it into practice. We need to hear his words and put them into practice. And this, uh, this idea from this text is, is deeply personal for me. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian school. I knew this story frontwards, backwards, every which way in between. I could tell it to you. And what I would have told you is that those that put their faith in Jesus are like one who has built their house on a rock. And those that that do not put their faith in Jesus are like one that have built their house on sand. And that's true to a degree. But then I got saved as an adult. And and, and I really started to understand that, that, that Jesus was Lord and what he had done for me. And I loved that. And I love to declare it because that's good news. And I was able to just rest in that goodness. But then there would be moments where, whether through scripture or prayer or whatever, I would, I would hear Jesus telling me to do something, to, to move forward. And I would say, nah, I'm good. That's optional. You already paid the price. You already paid the penalty for my sins. I don't, I don't need to, I'm good. And then when the storm showed up in my life and things began to unravel, I wasn't good with God because I didn't understand God. You, you said that if I, if I just put my faith in Jesus, I'll be like one who's built their house on a rock and it, it won't fall apart. And God said, that's not what it said. Look at the text. It said, those that hear my words and do them, that hear my words and put them into practice, are like one that builds their house on a rock. And it was through a long and painful, humbling process that I began to sit and just be in the presence of God. That I began to walk through sacred rhythms and establish those in my life because Jesus was calling me to do something deeper and I had the option to either do it or not. Remember, both heard the words but one chose to do it and one chose not to. And I soon found my structure no longer founded on sand, but on the rock of Christ. And so we're gonna invite the team back up here. And I just wanna ask the question, where is God calling you to hear his words and then put them into practice? And that's gonna look different for everybody. For Some of us, it, it could honestly just be starting with believing that he is who he says that he is. That pull and that call on your heart and your spirit to just believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. And to rest in that. Even for some others, it might, it might just be resting in that new identity with Christ. 
But if I can just be candid for a minute at the risk of stepping on some toes, I think sometimes we get a little bit too comfortable in that pocket. And sometimes Jesus is calling us into that next step, but we're comfortable just sitting in that spot of believing. And so for some of us, it might be starting or going deeper in in a rhythm of prayer or a rhythm of scripture. Maybe a rhythm of starting to rest and, and Sabbath to Shabbat to literally stop and delight in God and his goodness and what it is that he's doing. Maybe for some of us, he's calling us to repent. He's saying that that, that there's there's this sin issue in your life that we need to walk through and we need to address and you need to go away from that. Sometimes it might be harder than that. He might might be calling you to to, to start walking through forgiveness. He might be calling you to, to start praying for those that hate you, that persecute you. He might be calling you to start submitting to the authority that he has placed over you, whether that's an employer or even the government, because God has good purposes. But what is it that, that, where is it that he's calling? He's telling you to hear his words and then to put them into practice, to walk out that life of faithfulness, of long obedience in the same direction.